Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 115 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peake, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today we're going to have special guest Paul Sinclair, who is a UK author and researcher who lives in the seaside town of Bridgleton on the East Yorkshire coast of the United Kingdom. Paul has been investigating strange phenomena around the uh, area of East and North Yorkshire for many years and uncovered a deep history of folklore, strange sightings, and mystery disappearances. Um, so we're going to be going into his investigations. Um, also, he's found a, uh, an area that is just like the UK Skinwalker Ranch, um, just like we have here in the States. So, and he's also been having experiences since he was a young child that has affected his family um, and himself to this day. Um, so we'll be getting into those experiences as well. Um, very action-packed episode with tons of information today. Uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Also, I just want to let you guys know that 2024, we are having our newest conference this year called the Curiosities Festival. You can go over to our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com to see what's going to be there um, and what you can expect at the festival. Tickets are only $5, and it includes everything all day long. So, I mean, you cannot beat that whatsoever. We're going to have speakers on the UFO subject, the paranormal subject, and Bigfoot, along with live performances of curiosities, um, sword swallowing, fire, I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. It's going to be an amazing day. You're not going to want to miss it. It's called the Curiosities Festival 2024. And uh, check out the website. We're going to be putting the ticket link up this weekend. Like I said, it's only $5, so you cannot beat that whatsoever. Um, so with further ado, let's go ahead and bring our special guest, Paul Sinclair, on. So as we always like to say, strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 115 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today we are sitting down with special guest, Paul Sinclair. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jesse. It's wonderful to be here, to be able to share a bit of information and views with your guests. Yeah, it's, it's uh, great to have you on my show. I was on yours not long ago. Um, so it's an honor to have you come over here and share your work and research that you're doing over in the UK because uh, you are one of the bigger names that are out there in the field doing real research and, and collecting data. So I appreciate you coming on today. No, not a problem. And uh, if, if people enjoy what we're talking about today, I'm sure I wouldn't mind doing it again. So basically I'm, I'm a straight to the point kind of man. So just ask me whatever you want. I'll answer it in as truthful manner as I can. Yeah. Without being rude or disrespectful to anybody, of course. And yeah, let's just go. Okay. So uh, I guess, yeah, let's start out. So, I read that you 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 had experiences starting at a very young age and and, and kind of led up to today and and it has affected your life even to this day. Um, what age did this all start for you and what exactly did you experience? I would have thought, Jesse, that because obviously a little boy is not going to keep a diary. I'm 61 now, so I'd have thought about four years old. And we lived in a fairly modest council house here in the UK, a semi-detached house and. I got visitations by what could only be described as, well, people would want to call them alien. And I'd, I'd, I'd use that term loosely, people, because they are alien, but they're alien to everything we know and understand. So in my interpretation is they're not necessarily from out of space because they're already here. And I, I've not got some kind of vast, uh, I don't know, reference book of lots and lots of visitations. The more cameos of events that took place we'll say from about the age of four to about 14 and then there was a big gap and it's almost as though things are I don't know mapped out for you in your life because it literally started again when we myself my wife and our four girls because during that gap I was married and we had four girls and we moved to a place called Bridlington here in East Yorkshire and within not within weeks but within days of starting work on that property because my former job was a builder, a joiner, and, you know, wages weren't brilliant. So if you were going to get a property, I always got one that were pretty run down and a bit of a wreck because I knew I could make it good. And obviously you're going to get it for a better price. So right. 
I've spent a few weeks. I know I've missed out the beginning part here, Jesse, so I'll probably jump back to that. But yeah. I spent a few weeks getting this property at least habitable. There was no running hot water on it when we first moved in. And I would travel up from Doncaster, which would be about 120 miles from where we lived at the time. And for about three or four weekends, I was working on this property with the aid of a plumber because I'm a joiner. and I'd take our eldest daughter with us. So I realise I've jumped here, here guys, but I'm, I think it'll all fit. The first thing that happened, there was all sorts of strange noises and voices from rooms inside this property and a brief outline of this property. Huge six-bedroomed Victorian terraced house with a beautiful mahogany staircase that just went up and round. It just went up to the top. It was just fabulous. And But the, the house was basically a wreck. It was a shell of its former years. So you'd hear voices and talking in the rooms and all sorts of things and it almost makes you wonder if that house were meant for us and I don't know whether it was or it wasn't but it turned out that the property when we when we looked into it and when we did a bit of digging the people the former occupants had been using it for uh not I'm being kind if I said for spiritualism because there was all sorts there were pentagrams underneath the wallpaper you would remove floorboards to see get to wiring where the light fittings would go and there would be a crucifix or there'd be a saint christopher or a little page from the bible so there was something with this house before we ever arrived we never knew this we didn't know when we bought it and um, the thing that happened uh, this particular night we laid on a mattress at the top of the house me and sarah our eldest daughter who would be about 11 she'd come up to help me the dad and she loved so all our girls are pretty much hands-on as regards helping the mum and the dad the, and the staircase I'm looking out onto the staircase and this beautiful mahogany handrails with spindles you know the the, the wooden stair rods yeah and I woke up in the night and I thought I could see the shape of a just a dark shape of a huge person stood in in like a two-foot brick pillar before the staircase the handrail and the spindles began and it was one of them situations where I, I was looking at it and thought, am I imagining this? Can I see it? And it's dark, obviously. It's night time. We're at the back of the house. There's no street lights. And then suddenly, and my attention's taken off this shadow. And I'm looking at the, the handrails and they're white. And I'm thinking, I haven't painted them white. I have not painted these white. I know I haven't. And I'm looking at them and watching them. And I look at Sarah. I turn around. Sarah's fast asleep. And so they become so white, they look like illuminous tubes. And we've jumped right into it here, Jesse. I realise that. So apologise, people. We know there's no sort of build-up here. As we've just gone straight no, to... yeah, keep going. Not, we've gone from naught to 60, haven't we? But there's, there's beings. That's all I can say. Just glowing beings just rising in this stairwell. And when I, when I say it were a magnificent house, I still own this house today. I've converted it to three flats. And the, but the staircase, people, it was it was five and a half meters long, the width of it, the stairwell, by four meters. And you've got this big void. You could look over the top and see the ground floor. And there's something rising, and everything just became so white in the end. It it just like an explosion of light. I woke up the next morning and I remembered nothing. I talked, spoke to Sarah. I said, you know, I said we'll work till about dinner time, Sarah, or words to that effect, and then we'll go home to your mum and your sisters. And I just reached out with my arms and stretched my arms out because I'd probably just got a, a, a short T-shirt on or maybe no shirt and some, some tracky bottoms or something. And there's holes in, in both arms, lots of holes in both arms about the size of match heads. And suddenly I remembered the light. I remembered seeing... The, the, the glowing spindles as they got whiter and whiter and it all came back just that cameo of cameo of an event I, I have no knowledge of what happened after the explosion of light so then from the that was 1993 and this went on till 1997 and uh, with the advice of Whitley Strieber Whitley said to me you need to get your medical records Paul you know because I told him about the thing Whitley were one of the few people I've spoken to about this and I sort of confided in Whitley in 2006 you know I, I, I kind of reached out to him said these things were happening and Daryl Sims to be honest with you yeah th those two okay and uh, so so I spoke to Whitley and he said get your medical records so I, obviously I don't know what they're going to contain I do not know what the doctors are going to say 
and there's notes on the medical records say, talking to uh, skin specialists, dermatologists, we would like you to have a look at this young man's uh, arms or this young man's back. Obviously, I'm in my 30s then, that you know, would call me a young man uh, who, who has suffered intermittent punch hole lesions every three to six months in his body. And I haven't got these records in front of me, but I've, one thing I'm half decent at is remembering things like this. And the wording was that my partners at the practice are quite perplexed. And they did biopsies. They've done all sorts of things. And the final letter from the the, the clinical the this, the dermatologist at the at the hospital was that I am afraid we are going to have to draw a blank with Mr. Sinclair's lesions. Wow. And I've still got scars on my arms, and I've got two big ones on my back where that was the last of the trauma. They were like bullet holes, to be honest with you. And that 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 was the worst of it. That was nineteen towards the end of 1997 but prior to that because I realized whoever's listening to this I do apologize we were talking about childhood there were visitations and I've written one book about all of this called the night people and I wish I'd got a beginning I wish I'd got a middle and I wish I'd got an end but I've got memories of these beings and the various what I've called cameos of events that took place during these interactions and I don't ever recall being taken anywhere although I assume I must have been I think things like screen memories must have been put in place because at home I, I remember one of the chapters in Night People I think it's it's the it's the eyes in the curtains and in the back bedroom of my mum and dad's home that there were some silver grey coloured curtains and my bed I think was again the wall and I woke up in the night Bit of background, we lived at the back of our home, there was pasture and cattle in the fields. So imagine a four or five year old, a four or five year old hasn't got a lot of life experience to draw upon. So this, the cattle will make sense in a moment. So I woke up in the night and I'm looking and I can see in these curtains, four rows of eyes and the huge black eyes. And the sort of, I think I can see shapes of something in them. I'm not gonna say, aliens or anything because i'm four years old five years old i don't know what i'm looking at but i know they look like them cow's eyes i know that's how big they look and and that's what i'm looking at and i'm thinking they're cow's eyes because my dad used to cut the grass and tip the lawn clippings over when he'd done it into the over the edge and the cattle would come up and i'd i'd look at these animals and i'm thinking that's what they are and then then they start coming in and out of the curtains almost in and out of focus and the next thing I remember and I think this is the earliest memory is the stud around me either side of the bed which is impossible because the bed was again the wall you see what I'm saying Jesse that's that's the reason I'm not sure whether in these scenarios I've actually been where I think I've been okay and I, I remember crying I remember asking for help and not making a sound and not being able to make a sound and there's there's night people contains not all the same type of situation but a lot of um encounters or you call them abductions i suppose and with these unknown others that uh, quite honestly would it were just terrifying it really i wet the bed till i was 14 i wouldn't leave the i wouldn't leave the bedroom once i'd gone in it on a night and every night you know and there'll be people listening to this some might roll their eyes and say i no, i don't believe this scene is believing i can understand that but there'll be other people who say i know what you mean the, I, I daren't leave the bedroom. I used to go to bed and I would get the covers and I would bunch them up into the tightest ball. If I could have climbed in wall, I would have done and, and, and leave a little hole ready for them, waiting for them. And obviously, like I've said before, a child does not keep a diary. And I think this, these, these occurrences were quite infrequent. It didn't happen long. But once it had happened, once you'd suffered that trauma every night, the potential for this to happen was there so every night I went to bed in fear and uh, that's kind of encapsulated some of my experiences and uh, you know I don't know what your listeners will you'll maybe get a bit of feedback and uh, I'm being as honest as I can <laughs> you know? yeah I appreciate it we've got four girls Jesse you know and uh, they're all grown up now and apart from Gemma they've all been kind of touched in some way by the strangeness that is this unknown other that's interacting with us all of us in some inexplicable way 
uh, and, I, and I mean all of us, let's throw that net open and, and I think it touches everybody. Even the people who say, oh, what a load of rubbish. They, everybody will go through some kind of period or some kind of moment in their life where they think, wow, well, that was strange. And uh, but so, uh, most people, majority, just choose to shelve it and put it. It's, it's a little bit too difficult to to dive into this because I'm not going down this rabbit hole because I don't have an answer to it. And that's what a lot of people do. But um, then there's other people like myself, like you, like your listeners, and we're all searching for, for some kind of truth, some kind of validation to the strangeness that's affected our lives. And I, you know, I. If you want me to carry on with the abduction type scenario, or you want me to jump into some of the research, some of the UFO reports, cryptid type reports, we can get I, into I, that I, in the second half. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll still we'll stay on your experience for this half. But you know, even to this day, myself, when my experience has stopped, I still sleep with a nightlight on to this day, and I'm still frightened to sleep in total darkness um, from when my experiences were occurring. So these things do touch you and they, and I mean, there's nothing that makes that, that remembrance of what happened to you go away. That's always stuck there in the back of your mind. And this is more real than you've ever believed when, when you experience it yourself. And I don't think people realize that until they do. Um, so I understand you, you're doing the blanket thing and, and, and protecting yourself. Like, I, you know, it's, it's, it's what happens. It's there's, there's nothing, there's nothing more, more graphic and I, and I do I, I sympathize with the people probably who were sat in silence saying nothing because the fear not just the fear of what's interacting with us not just the fear of, of knowing that it's real but the fear of telling people that you know and respect people that you want a sympathetic ear from uh, and then receiving a rolled eyebrows and a, and a smile and, and uh, or, or some remark to some other friend of you'll never guess what he's just told me or she's just told me and but that you in a way you you can then understand why the majority of people shelve these experiences because it's too it, not only is it traumatic to to relive and know that it could potentially happen again but it's traumatic to tell people and then get laughed at you know and, and that is that is one of the biggest dangers or or, or fears that a lot of people face but uh, you know there were so many so many experiences I'm one of them, one of the most bizarre, and I've no fear in telling people this, no matter how crazy this might sound. How much time we got before you go to your break, Jesse? We got five minutes until break. So you're five minutes. Well, I'll try and condense this. Mum and dad used to go to a, a sports club in a place called Swinton, uh, which is about three miles away, the Dale and Brown Sports Club. And every year they used to throw brilliant Christmas parties for the adults and the children. It was a great atmosphere where children could go on a weekend. Dad could have a drink of beer and mum would have a drink and a dance. And we went to Dale and Brown Sports Club on New Year's Eve. I think it was 1970. And it was snowing. And we walked because dad weren't going to drink and drive. And when on the way back, we were walking through Church Street and you could hear the snow crackling and crunching. Everybody had sort of let the new year in. So I know it was between 12 and 1 a.m. And we're crossing over the bridges. Uh, the Canal Bridge, the River Don Bridge, and I'm condensing this, people, because, you know, you could make this this story, not make it last, but in, to do it justice, you want a lot longer. And uh, then we get to, the, the over the crossings, Dad says to me, when you get to the crossings, because I was running in front, skating and doing all sorts of things, and just a daft little lad that me, I was just full on. Uh, and, and he said, wait, don't go over the crossings. Well, obviously, there's no trains, but I'm not going to do as it anything he didn't tell me to do because he were an hard man to live with. He like a guy that would smack first and ask questions later. So I weren't going to spoil my night by having a smack of him. So I'm waiting at the crossings. Mum takes hold of my hand and we stand there <clears throat> looking down onto what's called Ferry Boat Lane. There's a pond at the, to the right-hand side, the YEB pond, Yorkshire Electricity Board pond, and pasture on the left-hand side. And our home's about a mile away in the distance, maybe just three quarters of a mile. And then I see the most amazing thing. I see two rabbits and a guinea pig, literally what we'd have as pets in the on the grass verge on the lane. And I pull away because I want them. I'm a, I'm a proper hands-on little boy. I, want, I, I wanted all things like that. And Mum grabbed hold of me and said, oh, my God, Bob, can you see them? Now, my dad would call Robert. Everybody called him Bob. And he went, yeah, keep hold of him. And I'm looking at these rabbits and I'm looking at the guinea pig and I'm trying to pull away. And he's getting angrier. 
and I'm and I want one. I want to take one home because there, there were a white rabbit, a black and white rabbit, and a brown guinea pig. And and she, she they dragged me back, and my dad's saying, "Keep hold of him," and he's really, really getting angry and edgy. And then I noticed that everything had changed, as in his voice. And I can remember this. It was like they were speaking to each other from other side of a long tunnel, and. I'd got reluctantly dragged past these animals and I really, I, I knew better than to persist because I knew he would have smacked me. But I had one last look when, I, when I'd gone past and in the field, in the field, I don't know, yards and yards away because when I first looked down, all I could see were the animals and I'd got no, dis I, I weren't looking anywhere else. I wanted these animals, but in the field, set back in the field were two of these beings that I'd seen in my bedroom. They were just stood there like literally just stood there in the snow. Wow. And my 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 body, I, I, pardon the pun because it's freezing, ran cold. I didn't want to look at these animals anymore. I didn't want these animals. I never saw the animals move either. Never saw them move at all. Uh, but they look real. So we got home. All the way home, my mum's saying, what were they, Bob? What were they, Bob? I'm frightened. What were they? And he's going, I don't know. I don't know. And uh, I got sent to bed. I think I asked my dad about them. That would have been my chance to tell my dad that these things had been, I'd seen these things in my room, but I didn't. That would have been the big chance to tell him, but I didn't. And uh, I, I discussed it with a neighbour a few days later. You just stop me whenever you like, Jesse, because you've got to go to your break. But they discussed it with a neighbour a few days later. A lady called Mrs. Simpson, whose, whose son was called Hugh. And uh, so I know there's a witness out there. Because I heard Mrs. Simpson say Hugh saw the most peculiar thing walking home New Year's Eve. And they were asking what they saw. And it got to the rabbits and the guinea pig. And I got sent out of the room. So I know this man witnessed what we saw. Now, my mum and dad aren't alive anymore. Unbelievably, Mrs. Simpson is. She's that's crazy. She's over 100 years old. I've not got to speak to her yet because I only found this information out last year. And we're only early into the first yeah, and, and it's not going to change anything, but like everyone else listening and, and, and getting absorbed in this, we're looking for our own answers, and this would be more validation for me. So as crazy as two rabbits and a guinea pig might sound, there are, there's another witness out there. So do you believe that was part screen memory, you seeing these animals, especially because they didn't move, and the beings were kind of playing this in front of you? I do, yeah. I don't think I was meant to see the beings. I don't know why. Uh, and it was only when I turned back and I've got like a, a just kind of longer distance view from the other side. You know, you, when you're walking down, these things are on my left. When, my, when I sort of turned round after I've gone past them, they're on my right. Don't ask me what, what that means. But I saw them stood in field. I did not see them when I stood at the top of the, the crossings, the railway crossings, looking down onto the lane. I, my eyes just fixed on these animals, which were essentially just household you know pets someone's pets right two rabbits and a guinea pig and quite where it fits in any of this or quite where anybody's experiences fit i don't know or what these these beings these unknown others want from us i don't know I, for me everything was fear-based that i experienced in that room and experienced in from 1993 to 1990 it finished for me early into 1998 as regards the interaction with these beings but it put me on the road that i'm on now where i'm just i wouldn't say obsessed but because which none of us should be obsessed but i'm searching for answers other people's answers that might connect to mine we're just trying to connect the dots constantly absolutely. Uh, to be honest jesse yep absolutely that's that's an incredible story um i can imagine that <laughs> Uh, having that happen and your parents actually seeing these beings you know um it's just incredible. well you know my my dad my dad passed away in 2006 not interested in ufos not interested in the alien scenario cryptids or anything and he had a condition called bronchial ecstasy and i'll i'll keep this quick uh, which meant that he had oxygen piped around the house and he had oxygen when he was past, when he was in his in his last last few days constantly and if he spoke he'd take the mask off and just he'd say a few words and then put it back on and i used to go and visit him in hospital every as soon as i finished work every night didn't spend long but i was have half an hour with him and i went this night a few days before he passed and my mum said your dad wants to speak to you paul he wants to tell you something so i mean i i i weren't i wasn't expecting this so i i, I went into this little side room 
and because he were really susceptible for infection and stuff. So they put him in a, a room on his own and he took the mask off and he said, the aliens visited me last night. And I said, you what? Never expected him to say, he said, I said, what did the, what, what are you telling me? Wow. The aliens visited me last night. They wanted me to go, but I, I, I don't want to go. I'm not ready. And I said, really? I said, well, what did they say to you? He said, I can't remember. I don't know. But he claimed that two beings, and he called them aliens, visited him. Uh, and he, they came through a spiral, he said, in the wall, a white spiral. So, I mean, I've, I've, I have written about it in Night People. And, you know, I, I, when I wrote Night People, uh, Jesse, I, I said, you know, some of the things I'm writing will be too much for some people and not enough for others. And, but we can all, all we can do is, is tell the story to the best of our ability. And it's a shame that we've even got to label it as a story because yeah. it's an experience. Right. You know, tell the experience in the best ability that we can and as truthful as we can. And I think anybody should, they should be ashamed of themselves if they're bringing their parents into it like I've just done and they're not on the level and telling the truth. And that's what he told me. Right. Uh, it, it, I, I weren't expecting it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't, I've no, I've no fear. I've no, I've no problem telling people uh, I get. I probably get a little bit uptight if somebody says, "Well, what a load of rubbish!" But you've right. got to live with uh, it. Yeah, I get that. I understand that feeling. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So let's leave that right there for now and uh, take our quick break. Uh, when we get back, we can kind of finish touching on this and then get into some of your research as well. Um, so we're going to go ahead and take our quick break, and we'll be back right after these messages. This is your host, Jesse Peak. Check out our official website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Read up on UFO articles, including abductions, close encounters, sighting cases, megalithic structures, and more. Also, check out our new Facebook group. You'll get updates on guests every week, new events coming up, and our schedule of who we're going to have on in the future. Again, that's UFO Encounters Worldwide Facebook group and our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Jesse P. I'm happy to announce coming up this year in 2024, on May 4th, is the Curiosities Festival, which will include speakers in the field of ufology, the paranormal, and Bigfoot. We'll also be having live performances throughout the day, live bands, food, activities, and more. Tickets will only be $5 a person, and it'll be from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. at night. Again, this is for the 2024 Curiosities Festival. You can get this information over at our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. We look forward to seeing you there. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peake, at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com today. Have you always been curious about the unknown, the unexplainable? Do you find yourself intrigued by the mysterious and paranormal side of our world? Then let's find out with co-host Diego is the podcast for you. Join in on an adventure into the world of the inexplicable and get insights from experienced researchers, investigators, and experts. Listen to mind-bending discussions and fascinating stories as Let's Find Out explores the strange, mysterious, and paranormal. Let's Find Out with co-host Diego is a unique and engaging podcast that uncovers the mysteries of the cryptic and unknown. With insightful interviews and discussions, they discover the very latest theories, discoveries, and investigations that may someday give us the final answer as to what may be behind the veil of reality. Available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Radio Public, TuneIn, and Rumble. UFO Encounters Worldwide would like to announce our brand new home at the UNX Network. Listen to us every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
to hear UFO Encounters Worldwide podcast. That's on the UNX Network. Looking to get some UFO merchandise? We'll get some UFO Encounters Worldwide official stickers, and we also have pins. Check out our selection, DM us, or email us if you're interested for inquiry, and we'll show you our selection. All pins and stickers are $3 each and $1 shipping, or you can mix and match any five for $10 in free shipping. DM us or send us an email if you're interested. All right, welcome back to the second half of episode 115. I'm sitting down with our special guest today, Paul Sinclair. Um, so we, we touched on some of your experiences, um, absolutely incredible experiences. Um, you know, <laughs> some people, you know, we talked about this. It can be very hard to affect your life in different ways, and it puts us on this path that we're on today. Um, and part of this path for you has been researching and, and searching for answers, which I think most of us do when we have these experiences. Um, and I've seen that you've come across a location over in the UK that is like what we have here in the States called Skimwalker Ranch, um, where disappearances, mutilations, different things like that have occurred. Um, could you kind of tell us how you found out about that and, and talk about your research a little bit? No, not a problem. You know, I, I spend a, a lot of time in archives as well as out on the feet, boots on the ground research. Probably too much time, people. You know, I'm out every night. After we've done here, I will be out today. And uh, I found it, there was too many things flagging up in, in one of the archives at Bridlington, the hometown, that, that pinpointed or highlighted a, a location, Bempton and Speeton, here in East Yorkshire, if people want to Google that, if you don't know the areas, where, like you've just said, there's been mysterious disappearances, animal mutilation, UFO encounters, disembodied voices or, or voices that well, they're just coming out of the thin air. All, every manner, it's the full spectrum of unexplained phenomena that's occurring in and around this area. And what I like to stress is, because I've written four books, the Truth Proof books, and all four books, these locations feature heavy. And it's, they're, not, they're not stories that where Paul's assuming these are first-hand accounts where I've spoken to witnesses. And when you think about it, if you've filled four books, I mean, I would have said 75% of the information in those four books comes from these areas. And these are from independent witnesses. And when we're not using the same people in any of the books, they're all first-hand accounts. You know, the, the animal mutilations, for me, it were macabre but fascinating. And I, I went to... Uh, to a place called Danes Dyke on New Year's Day 2017. Myself and my wife, we went to give the guy who lived in Danes Dyke, which is a, an ancient woodland. It's two and a half mile long earthwork that was this Neolithic, 3,500 year old earth, earthwork. And he lived in the dyke, the woodland. He'd lived there for 13 years in a tent. Lovely guy. And we used to take him food. So we took him some food New Year's Day. And he said, he, when we were speaking to him, he said, I've just missed the police. And I asked him why, and he said, oh, they wanted to know if I'd seen any unusual animals, in particular, a highly unusual-looking dog. Hmm. I said, okay, right. And I'm sort of all ears listening to this. He said some sheep had been killed in Bempton. So that set me off. I discovered the field. I, I contacted the farmer and asked him if he'd mind me helping him try and find out what had been killing his livestock. And he'd lost 27 sheep when I got in touch with him. Wow. And uh, no, I still believed it was some kind of either people or some kind of land-based carnivore, despite the fact and the fact, 100% fact, that these sheep, these ewes, uh, and most of them had lambs with them at, at some stage during the year. And when they were killed, the lamb was still stood at the side of its mum. They were taking the 80 to 90 kilo ewes, removing their eyes, removing their ears and stripping their faces of skin. Lots of photographs I've got of this, as macabre as it sounds. Yet leaving the, the lamb, or whatever stage of development it was, just stood outside of its mum. Now, that's not, that's very unpredatory. And the only thing we've got, Jesse, in this country that would actively pursue a lamb, I would think, would be a fox or a badger, but we've got nothing else. 
so I spent the best part of three to four days a week between 4.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. on these fields and a woodland at the side. And by the time I'd done in 2019, when it petered out, he'd lost 50 sheep. Oh now, God. there are similarities to what were happening at Skinwalker. There's a sheep run in one of the fields he'd set up in, in July, on July the 28th. And I don't have these notes with me. These are straight out of Paul's head. July the 28th. It set a, a six-panelled sheep run up. It held six, six uh, sorry, a three-panelled run that held six sheep nose to tail. That, I'm trying to give you a description as I'm as I'm retelling this. And inside the run, it would have trays of liquid where the sheep would run through to treat their feet for parasites. So with the aid of two, with one shepherd and two dogs, he would have a hell of a job getting his sheep to funneled through this to treat their feet. They hated it because it used to sting their feet. I'm just giving you guys one example of the strangeness. This is when the farmer decided something otherworldly might have been taking place. So he left the sheep for the night. He, 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 there were three to 400 sheep on the field and he, he treated most of them. He'd funnel them in and let them out into a different section that were corralled at the other end. He came the next morning and he was absolutely stunned by what he saw because this three-panelled corrugated sheep run to hold six sheep nose to tail contained 30 sheep. Not, not 13, not 20, 30. They were crammed on top of one another. They were upside down. They were on the sides. He said it was carnage. He couldn't believe what he was looking at. And he, he, he unpegged the panels and freed the sheep, stood with them for a few minutes, I got to know quite a lot about sheep in the two to three years I worked with them. And you have to stand with a sheep. If it rolls over, you know, people, here's something totally normal and, and a farming talk. But if a sheep rolls on its side, it can't right itself. It'll stay there and die. You have to stand it up and stand with it for a while. Wow. Anyway, uh, yeah, just crazy bit of information there, people. But check it out. It's true. So anyway, he, he unpegged the panels, sorted the sheep out, got them so that they were, you know, they could sort of gain the composure. And there's two dead at the bottom, not died through mutilation, they died through East exhaustion and stress. But my mind immediately jumped to the cattle, the bulls that were in the container at Skinwalker Ranch, because uh, they were they were trapped in that container and nobody knew how they'd got in that yes. container. I don't know if you, and, but we, uh, to me at Bempton, we've got something even more spectacular with the sheep. And this area, you know, it, it really does produce an array of unexplained phenomena. There's a there's a disused. I'm, I can carry on with the sheep mutilations if if you want, Jesse. But uh, jumping about a mile away, there's a disused RAF base. It's RAF Bempton, and uh, the RAF came to the area in 1940, and they've set up camp a few miles away at Flamborough Head. And in that year, they realised the elevation wasn't high enough, so they moved further up the coast to Bempton, where they stayed till 1970. And below ground at Bempton, there's a huge labyrinth of concrete rooms and passageways. It's a Type 1 rotor, and it was built as their secure hold for their radar in the Cold War. 1940, it began. 1970, it ended. When it ended in 1970, it was left to the elements, because it's in a pretty desolate place. Not a lot of footfall up there at all back then. So in the 1980s, it, it got used be intermittently by a satanic cult. Now, I, I have a, a kind of saying that I come out with, the UFO researchers see UFOs, ghost hunters see ghosts. And, I'm one, and there's all sorts of stories surrounding the satanic cult. When the first book, I, Jesse, I couldn't get to grips with whether it was just some kind of urban rumour, because when I would speak to people, I would say... You know, a UFO sighting, for instance, and I'd visit the area, go to Bempton. And then I said, just while you're here, I said, what do you know about the strange goings on at Area Bempton in the 1980s? And you'd get the reply, oh, they used to practice witchcraft. Oh, they were devil worshippers, that kind of thing. Then second book, I found a bit more out. And then I met some people who claimed they'd been down there and found animals nailed to crucifixes. And they found animals in pentagrams sacrificed. Uh, and then I got the same stories of different people. Then I got I met a guy called Steve who still lives in, in the town who went down with a friend and found and actually saw people in hoods and robes 
sacrificing an animal. I don't want to be too graphic here, people, so I do apologise. But I, I suppose we've just got to say it how it is, unless you want me to stop, Jesse. No, you're good. Keep going. Uh, and uh, so, so what do we know? We know that that these things were real by the amount of people that that have been talking about it to me and plenty of other people. You can Google this location and you can find information out for yourself. I mean, the walls were festooned with kind of erotic, satanic art as well. I mean, just to be down in the bunker, the walls are 10 foot thick. The ceiling's 12 foot thick. It's designed to take the impact of a thousand pound free fall bomb dropped from a Russian bear aircraft or a near miss nuclear blast. So just to be down inside that with the blast doors shut is an oppressive environment. So ever since then, on these cliff tops, and I don't mean I don't mean UFO sightings weren't prevalent before then, but ever since then on the cliff tops, people claim to see the shadows of men, the shadows of people walking about around this base. And I need to stress for anybody in the UK. It is out of bounds. It's on private land and it's now being concreted over. So Paul Sinclair is not advocating anybody goes on the base. But but we've got these stories and then we've, we've got the cryptid sightings that have been seen on the clifftops. You know, February the, come on, Paul, February the 7th or 8th, 2019, two military guys went up to the clifftops, very close to the base. And there's a seabird colony up there, gannets and razorbills and a lot of people go now to see the seabirds, but it also is the home of a pair of peregrine falcons. And they went up to look at the peregrines in first light in full flight. But they got there in the early hours of the morning and decided to go for a midnight walk. And these guys have done overseas. They've done. They've seen. They've seen conflict. They've, they've been in bad situations. And it, this this guy. He said he's never been as terrified by what he saw that night in, in, in his life. He's never seen or experienced anything like it. And they're walking down. He said, and we lit up a pair of yellow eyes. He said, and they just looked away from us. They're in the distance. And we, I, I was looking at my mate and I said, what's that? And they were swearing. What the, is that? And they didn't know. And they carried on walking and lit them up again. Then they walked and they said the air was electric. So I think we can pick something up from that people, you know, Absolutely. I think we can, there's telltale signs that there's a, there's a strangeness surrounding not just the UFO encounter, but we'll get to that in a moment. <clears throat> the actual stream of strangeness that runs through all genres of the unexplained. So he said, we walked down to some big posts like gate posts without a gate. He said, they've got two dogs with them. He says, and the dogs were acting strange. They were clinging to our sides. They, they, they were nervous. And then we lit it up when they got through these gateposts in the field. He said, and I'll not swear, but he said, I thought it looked like an effing hyena at first. He says, it was like hunkered down and its fur was bristling. He said, and then it stood up. It stood up on two legs and this thing's looking at them. Now, for all intents and purposes, they believe they saw something akin to a werewolf. Now, there's going to be people listening to this rolling their eyes. There's going to be other people thinking, yeah, I know I've seen something like this. I need to stress right from the off. Back in probably 2016, if somebody had told me this story, this experience, I don't mean I'd have laughed, but I wouldn't have been pursuing it. But when you start receiving all this information from individuals unconnected to one another, different levels of education, uh, different reasons for being in the area, and they start telling you they've seen something like this, you have to start taking it seriously. I mean, just because we don't understand how, we don't understand why, does not stop it happening. That's right. And do I, you know, Jesse, do I believe that there is something like a werewolf living and breathing on those cliff tops? Not a chance. I really don't. Do I believe it's real? Do I believe they've seen it? I really do. I, I, and on heart, I believe that a lot of these people are telling the truth. You know, the folklore of the area, Jesse, speaks for itself. Along the cliffs of the eastern North Yorkshire, there's stories that go back hundreds of years of seeing huge phantom hounds with glowing eyes, almost bioluminescent eyes. And then you, when you go further up the coast, because we've made a documentary last year, which is now out on Amazon Prime, it's called Wolflands, took us three years to make. And it, I, I cover witness accounts of, with these cryptids. And then you get into the forests of North Yorkshire. And 
it can't be denied that wolves would have been prevalent in ancient times without a doubt. You know, that can't be denied, but the place names, uh, Howling Beck, Wolf Howe, uh, and, and there's a town, a, sorry, a small village on the way there called Hundmanby. And you think, well, what does that mean? You break it down and it's called Hundmanby. And it means farmstead of the hound man. This wow. is not Paul Sinclair making names up to fit some kind of narrative that he wants to believe. That's what ancient writings tell you. Uh, two miles away from Hundmanby, which is close to the forests and close to the, the cliff tops of where I'm speaking about, two miles away, there's a, a small village called Flixton, where in, in 937 AD, and I think that's about 1,086 years ago, the then king, King Athelstan, he had a refuge built to protect travellers from wolves, which would have been prevalent, but he also said an infestation of savage beasts, lest they be devoured. Now, where the place I'm getting most of the cryptid accounts from, the werewolf-type accounts, is Flixton. And I've got, I've got stories that... In within living memory from the 1940s, I've got the the really old people in the village of Flixton telling me about stories that pre well predate that, but they're not first-hand accounts. They're accounts that they've been told by uh, people when they were younger. So the village of Flixton, uh, you know, below Flixton, and I know we're jumping all over the place here, people. So I do apologise. I'm trying to cram a lot in really uh, short space of time, but below. The village of Flixton is a is a dried up lake bed called Star Car. It's one of the most important archaeological sites, if not in the United Kingdom, in the world, where they found the most incredible artifacts that, that date back to Paleolithic times. And so we're going back like probably 11,000 years. And they, they, they found sites of animal sacrifice. This is not what Paul says, this is what the archaeologists say. And they found ritualistic face masks shaped out of deer antlers. So where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is that the, the archaeologists have speculated that these early people who inhabited the lake then, it's not a lake anymore, it's, just, it's marshland, uh, they, they speculated that these people weren't just hunter-gatherers, they were shaman, and they were practising uh, ritualistic magic and sacrifice. So if we play with the idea, and I only want to play with the idea because I've no proof of any of this, what I'm saying, that the shaman can transform into the beast, transform into other animals, then who's to say that we're not looking at remnants of this ancient past? And the place names such as Hundbambi, Farmstead of the Houndman, uh, are, not, are not all relics from these ancient times. Uh, you know, I suppose all we can do, Jesse, is, is sort of throw throw these things out there and, and, and see where they land and hope other people come back at you with stories. Just out of Flixton, there's a village called East Ayton. And I found in an archive an 125-year-old piece of writing from who a man who would have been, I suppose, a researcher back in the day called Howard Brearley. And he talked about people looking for the bar guest of East Ayton. Now, East Ayton is very close to Flixton and very close to the forests where we've made wolflands. And the bar guest was a huge phantom hound with glowing red eyes that people had said terrorised the forests and moors around that place. Now, we've, in present day, got witnesses who are talking about seeing the same type of thing. So these stories that we have, we've encountered we're writing about that we're documenting you know i'm not walking i'm walking in other people's footsteps i'm not breaking new ground there's been people here hundreds of years before me writing about these things and documenting these things they've given me the groundwork in which to expand on what they were doing uh, but i might not be doing any better a job than what these people were doing jesse so as you can see it's, I would call this multi-phenomena multi research. And when you look at it, Jesse, uh, regardless of whether a person is just UFO-based and wants to stick with that narrative, it can't be denied that anybody who has an alien-type encounter, not anybody, but certain people, 
or, uh, or some kind of encounter with beings of unknown origin, they, they report that these, these beings speak to them in their minds. Right. Then we get the cryptid scenario where we t people report that these beings speak to them in their minds. Yeah. Then we get the spiritualist and we get the clairaudience where people report having voices and being spoken to in their minds. So whether, whether we're dealing with one all-encompassing hive mind, that's all things to all men, UFO researchers see UFOs, ghost hunters see ghosts, Keep jumping back to that, or whether we're dealing with many, many different types of unexplained phenomena that reside behind the firewall. What I'm saying is, Jesse, that, that they're all employing the same exotic science because it's running through the full stream of the unexplained. And there's lots more examples. The descent into the lower silence. I know a lot of people like to call it the Oz factor. But I, and I, I just kind of coined the phrase, phrase for myself, the lower silence, this strange disjointed reality that a person finds themselves enveloped in during a UFO event, during a cryptid event, during a ghost hunting event. Lots of people report the change in the atmosphere, right. the silence that overwhelms something. It's the same stream of strangeness running through it all so th this has to be multi-phenomena research and the researchers and no disrespect to anybody there's some fabulous ufo researchers out there and cryptid researchers but you're all missing a trick in my opinion if you do not take into consideration that we could be dealing with the same thing with all of them a fabulous cryptid report comes in to a hunter in the forest to a researcher in the forest in america and in with that report comes balls of light we're seeing Right. Oh, we're not going to talk about that. We won't talk about right. that because that doesn't fit in with the narrative that what that, what we think a cryptid report should contain. Likewise, a UFO report comes in and somebody talks about seeing some strange bipedal creature. Oh, well, we'll miss yeah. that bit out because that doesn't fit with the narrative of what we what we deem a UFO report to contain. Right. This has been disingenuous to the witness. It's been disingenuous to the research. You have to follow the research where the research leads you. Yes. And, and if if it's coming up time and time again, then we can't deny it, Jesse, in my That's opinion. Right. And I'm happy you said that because I have stated on the show over and over again that there is a major crossover between UFO and the paranormal. It is one and the know. same. And if we really look at it that way, UFOs and beings of, of unknown, unknown origin are abnormal and strange and paranormal. Um, it, it's, it's the truth. And I think, you know, a lot of people need to start being more open minded when it comes to this crossover because it's it's a part of the phenomenon you cannot ignore it it's there and i'm, I'm very glad that you said it because i was going to ask you about the crossover and you wind up touching on it anyway which is great and i think people need to understand that and start becoming more of a mind and looking at it that way and i think more research will get done properly that way rather than looking at it as a separate entity everything's been pigeonholed for too long that's right and you know we, we we've really got to cross-reference we can still have our main passion if you like your main focus you know i, I spoke at the awakening conference uh for forbidden knowledge uh, a few years ago i'm i've done a few for them i'm doing one actually next month but and at the conference the interview did an interview with me and they asked me what what i was involved in and what i was researching and i said I never ever want to be labeled as a cryptid researcher or a UFO researcher. This is multi-phenomena research because it's all linked. Do you know there's there's other there's other things that occur within the full spectrum of these events, these these occurrences that apply to all genres of the unexplained, and that's the deception. That's the, yeah. a UFO event. You'll see, invariably it's the distraction. Should I say the distraction? <clears throat> a flash of light. And then suddenly the witness thinks, wow, well, that were odd. And then they, they, the next thing they know, they've got to their vehicle and they've lost an hour's time. Right. Or, or something in the, in the forests of America, in the forests of North Yorkshire, here in the UK. I've had witnesses who've said, I, I heard the crack of a branch. And I looked and I focused. And then all of a sudden, before I knew it, everything had enveloped in a strange eerie silence and an overwhelming fear had come over me it's almost like the, the, whatever it is needs you to channel your mind in a certain way i, th I think i think we, the only way that we can reach and i don't mean we can understand but we can actually touch the other side of what's at the firewall is by con by concentrated thought and engagement uh, you know and uh, once again, the phenomena, whatever it is, when it looks back at us, it, it still only does what it does on its terms. 
I don't advocate the use of the Ouija board at all, but I know that the people who do use these boards, and it's a tool, it's just a tool to concentrate a, a, a person or a group of individuals' minds, in my opinion, to, to, to put them in a place where they can contact what they believe will be the spirit of a deceased person. Absolutely. But invariably, it isn't. Invariably, they'll get a little hit, they'll get a little bit of excitement, and then they get drawn in. Right. And then it becomes dark. And, and then you find parallels to what they would say on Skinwalker Ranch of attachments, the, the hitchhiker effect, because people who've used the boards then talk about when they've left this haunted property, if they've been undergoing the use of the board for a number of days, weeks or months, something's in their house. Right. Things are moving in their house. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like I'm being watched. Is it any different to the hitchhiker effect? I think we're dealing with the same type of uh, intelligence, this unknown other. Yeah. I really, oh, the same science, as, which I touched on before, this exotic science right. that they're all employing yeah. from behind the firewall. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, and I think uh, more and more people need to become open-minded with this and, and really realize that this is one in one in the same. You know what I mean? As as you were saying, um, but Thank we you. got we got about a minute left. Do you want to tell everybody where they can follow you at, where they can see your work, and where they can get yeah, your yeah. books at? Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Jesse. So. If anybody's interested in the Truth Proof books, we have a website, truthproof.uk, and the paperback books can be obtained there. Anybody wants a physical copy of our documentary, Wolfland, it's on DVD, and that, you could get one there. The Kindle versions of the books are on Amazon. And if you want to watch the, the documentary, Wolfland, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, we run a live stream every Thursday night from the UK called Truth Proof. And we're doing one on a Sunday night as well. Uh, we've got lots and lots of different guests on. We've had some incredible guests, like including yourself, Jesse. But we had Whitley Strieber on, Andrew Collins, we, uh, some of the scientists from Skinwalker. We've had some amazing guests. So we've got the full spectrum of the unexplained, that, that which we try to cover. And we've got some absolutely incredible. Well, I've got. A, I'm not going to say what it is, but I've got an absolutely incredible celebrity coming on, telling us about his UFO views and experiences in a few weeks time it might be a month's time but i got confirmation he's going to come on uh and i'm i'm, I'm talking about a worldwide superstar that's awesome. going to be coming on. so i'm thrilled with that to be yeah honest. that'll be great that'll be awesome and i'll make sure i put the link for your youtube in the description of the episode so everybody can get that and go over and check out your show um i want to thank you for coming on today paul and sharing your research your experiences with us um, you know, I've learned, you know, I always learn something new when people come on, but I mean, really the work you're doing is incredible. So thank you again for coming and sharing this with us. You're welcome, Jesse. And if you want me to come back, I have no problem with that at all. You're a great guy. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. We'll definitely have to have you back on because it was not enough time to go through everything. So it always goes, it flies by when you do an hour of show. So we'll definitely get you back on again in the future. Um, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in to episode 115 today. Uh, we'll be back next week with another special guest, Linda Thompson, researcher in the field. Um, so uh, you can get all the links and all the uh, information in the description of the episode at over at our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. We'll see you guys next week. And until next time, remember to keep your eyes in the sky. Well, what another episode to add to the record books for UFO Encounters Worldwide. I want to thank Paul Sinclair for coming on today and sharing his lifelong experiences with us, as well as his investigations that happened in, over in the UK. Um, Paul is doing some amazing work over there. His research is top notch. Um, one of the real boots on the ground investigators in the UK. Um, so thank you again, Paul, for coming over and, uh, and, and sharing all this information with us today. I highly encourage all you guys that are listening to go and check out his uh, book series, Truth Proof, as well as his uh, uh, podcast and radio show called Truth Proof as well. Um, he does weekly shows over there on the YouTube channel. So make sure you go check that out. Um, you can get all of his books over at Amazon. Um, so uh, please, you won't be disappointed. Um, next week, we're going to welcome Linda Thompson as our special guest. She's a longtime researcher and investigator 
Um, every, a lot of people know her within the field. She's very active within the community on social media and on Twitter, UFO Twitter especially. Um, she's done a lot of great work through the years, so we're going to have her on to talk about all that um, and, and share some of her research that she's done throughout the years. Um, so that should be very exciting. And don't forget, if you guys are interested in conventions and um, uh, paranormal conferences, UFO conferences, etc., we are having the Curiosities Festival this year for the first time in 2024. You can get that information over at our website at ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Tickets are only $5 per person. And yes, there is a speaker session with a speaker in ufology, the paranormal, and Bigfoot, as well as live performances, live bands, vendors um, in the paranormal uh, UFO field. Um, so you guys, it's, a, it's going to be a full day that you can spend there from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. at night. Um, and there will be all kinds of activities throughout the day. You can get that information over at our website. Check it out. I'll be posting the ticket link this weekend so you guys can start purchasing your tickets ahead of time. Um, so, yeah, um, without further ado, that's uh, I think going to wrap it up for this week. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in to episode 115. And we will see you guys next week for another amazing episode and until next time remember to keep your eyes in the sky